Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the Lazy Philosophers Podcast, and toy- today I got Dwayne Drawn. How you doing, bro? <laughs> I'm doing good. Did man. I fuck up on her last name? <laughs> yeah, daddy. <laughs> 30 seconds in, messed up. I, I say it for them so it, it, it sounds all nice. Drawn. Drawn. Spell draw, put an N on it. Drawn. Drawn. <laughs> got it, dude. And thank you so much, dude. Dwayne, um, you're, you're a business owner. You were in the Marine Corps. You're just a super interesting dude. Our first conversation was awesome. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we were in the car and we we totally uh, <laughs> this girl was in there and, and we, I'm pretty sure she went and uh, offed herself afterwards. Dude, I think she ran. <laughs> she, got, she got out of that car and took. She didn't even say bye. No, she, <laughs> she took the fuck off. We were all talking about there're gonna be no jobs in the future. The end is near. Society's collapse is inevitable. AI, get your robots, and she just ever more silent. Oh man, we what we talked about race politics, identity politics. It was insane. It was only like fifteen minutes. Yeah. It fucked up my life. Yeah. <laughs> my whole life changed. Yeah. I, I called my son like, dude, dude, you gotta change your shit, change your mindset, change your thought. I yeah. called my wife, you gotta change your thought, you gotta change I said, Yeah, I even got the sperm count wrong. Oh, <laughs> I said, it only took after, out of fifty five thousand sperm, it only took one. You're fucking special right now. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> Sun started shining. Yeah, it, it was really great. I felt super energized afterwards. Um, and yeah, and we, the, one of the big things I think the, the the breakthrough moment in our conversation when we started talking about innovation and like the economy and things like that and how in the future, you know, there might not be jobs, but that might not even be the issue. I think it's our. I, I think it's our mindset that will be the problem, not technology. Like everyone's like, oh my god, technology is taking these jobs, but really, I don't care if technology takes like. Tons of these jobs that people don't want to do them. See, I, 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 I'm agreeing with you, but the problem is we have, I think we have an issue with the ruling class. Mm. I want to say the 1% or the half percent in which everybody wants to be, but really don't understand. It's a mindset. It's not money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really a mindset of control. And when you have machines taking over everything, we would love to have that. The problem what I think this, I'm just speaking, I think is that 1% will still own us. And mm-hmm. that's what... We don't want to let the robots take over because we still don't want to be owned by that 1%. Even yeah. though they own everything, we don't want to be pimped by them. No. That's probably what the issue is. Well, and I, I definitely think that's where it's headed in America. I think in America, that, so I don't think it's going to emerge the same all over. Like in places like Denmark, I don't think there's going to be a huge ruling class because they, they don't, culturally, they don't validate that. But here, we, it's like people vote against their own economic interests to support this idea that they could one day be part of the 1%. Hmm. And I think this is the, this is the key, is, is that we change as a culture away from our focus on money to our focus on something else being cool. And I think what we're really chasing, what all those rich people want is recognition. They would be recognized. It's not even like even being rich or whatever. Like you know, they say it doesn't really make a difference after like a hundred thousand dollars a year, and especially if you you have freedom. But all those people love feeling special, and money is a way for us to feel special. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, construction business that we own, we did six million dollars in the business, and we would do about eight hundred to close to a million dollars a year. And my friends, my close friends, like man, how does it feel to be rich? And you know what? Not at, I'm sitting here even talking to you. Not at any time did I ever feel like I was rich. Mm. Not at any moment. So it doesn't. The money doesn't matter. No. What I realize, and now this new business that I have, I barely make over a hundred thousand dollars a year, but I have more fun and more experiences 
than ever before, mm. ever. The past three years, 130 airplanes. I mean, every time I, I take a flight, it's about once or twice a week I go somewhere. All I care about is a window seat. I'm always taking pictures, and it's the same shit. <laughs> the same clouds. <laughs> it's a cloud. And my, my buddy said, one thing I noticed about you, you could care less about the money, even though you're always going after it. Yeah. It's the experience. Yep. And so if the technology can gain us more, can free us up, over this this construct of working and working working and we can enjoy the life experience i think i think it could work i i definitely agree with you i actually think so i i had this weird thought so you know how they say like millennials are the uh, are they don't we, we we aren't getting the jobs we want you know this that or the other well, I think part of the problem is, is just as millennials, we use our time super inefficiently. And I don't think, I do agree that those jobs aren't there. The traditional 401k jobs aren't there. But I think if a millennials put in as much effort towards they do as their casual social mediaing into like building like a self-started dropshipping company online or just something uh, like developing just other ways of making money, I'm pretty sure they could start something that would make money. I. What do you, what do you, what's your, I, I didn't mean to stop. Do you consider yourself a millennial? Oh, hardcore. Okay. A lot, of your, a lot of times when you're in something, you have a tendency to break it down and degrade it because you're in the middle of it. Like, like when I was running the, the construction business, there was times when I hated it and I thought I was struggling. But when I look back, shit, it was, it was easy. I didn't, I didn't work. I had over 20-something people who did the work for me. I would just show up and, you know what I mean? Hey, you go here, you go here, you go here and go do this. And it was really great. So you're in this lifestyle now that you're a millennial. You're looking like maybe we should do this, we should do this. Honestly, you guys are doing shit the right way. You, mm. As we grow up, when we're children, I think we're true, we're pure. And our parents are taught by their parents and their parents. And really what they do is, I'm going to use the word, they're fucking us up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're taking the belief that we were taught we could do this, we could do anything. Your parents are like, hell no, you got bills to pay. You got to do this, you got to do this. The millennials are like, fuck you. <laughs> we're doing podcasts. We, we're, we're posting on Facebook all day. We're doing this, we're doing that. Honestly, I really think the millennials are doing it right. Hey, that's what's up, man. Hell yeah. Hey, that's yes, I want to be one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do. I do think it's interesting that that the uh, the former generation tries to put what worked for them onto the next generation. I think that that because it's always like my dad told me this. He told me that his grandmother told him that she has more in common with the Romans than she had with him wow. when it comes down to her childhood, and that blew my mind. He said, "Get this, my." Dad, my dad could learn one skill his entire life and just get better at that one thing and that's it mm -hmm. he said and like now I take it to a modern sense I'm learning skills today I'm learning coding languages today that are going to be irrelevant in three years Mm -hmm. they, 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 they say we, uh, the millennials we, we constantly joke about having existential crises well the thing is is because our purpose is we have to face it all the time we're like literally I cannot I, I really can't conceive of a system. There, there's a new um, technology that w just did 350, what it took 350,000 hours of lawyers to do from Harvard, Yale, Stanford. It took uh, a computer software to do in like, I think like two days or a day. Mm. And that's, that's emerging technology. That's only gonna get better. It's only gonna get more refined. There's not gonna be lawyers. There's, I'm not trying to scare people. It's just, it's not going to happen. There, every, and it's weird to think about. I think we're, I don't know what it's going to look like. 
right? And that's kind of scary for a lot of people. You, you think we're coming into more of a philosophy of the truth? You have to become true. We're being forced to be truthful of who we are, what we are, what we do, how we do. You can't lie and fudge your way through. Like, give, I mean, like I said, we're on, we're on technology. There's an article on TV today where some students exposed the principal and found out that she didn't get the degree where she said she did, all this other stuff, and now the principal's fired. She lost her job. They're, they're pouting themselves on the back because they, they found the principal out. Mm. But now the principal doesn't have a job. You mean, now, you know, how are they going to pay bills? How are they going to live this life? But she was lying. Mm-hmm. You mean, so where's the waiting? Now you can't lie your way through anymore. No. Well, so it's a different... I think the lies are different, right? I definitely think that's the same. Uh, you, you can't just start over. You can't do any of those things. You can't lie about your age or anything like that. Yeah. People will find out. Lies are less now. But you can... Perception is more important than reality. You don't have to lie to make people think you're a lot more successful than you are. Because you can hit pause. You can, well, you can hit pause. You can develop social media. You can do this. You can do that. And, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, you can make, with all the filterings and everything like that, you can make yourself look like someone you're completely not. Like, if someone were to look at, like, my, my raw just, like, social media, like, my Twitter or anything like that, and I, I think this has always been the case, but you read the credentials, you're like, oh, this guy must be crushing it. And then, but the reality is it's not the case. And I think you're able to heighten that with social media. I think social media is able to distort reality more. Th- but you are crushing it. I, I guess it goes back to the thing. It doesn't feel like that, though. Because yeah, you I, are crushing it. I think, but I think it's because we're always aware of what's next, right? Like uh-huh. what we we're, we were talking about earlier. It's like, and I think kind of like the American culture, the Western culture, is you're only as good as your last stand-up set. You're only as good as your last book. You're only as good as your last company. You're only as good as your last this. And in America... We live in a paradigm where we must continue to prove ourselves. That, that's not everywhere. You know, not anywhere else in the world you have to constantly reassert that I am something. That's why the stereotype for Americans is that we brag so much. Because I think we always feel that our status is being assaulted. In a it's sense. That, yeah, wow. I didn't really yeah. think about it. But it's that culture that we're putting on each other. Exactly. Wow. It's even family, friends, everything. My wife um, hit me one day. And she said, if you think about it, we are based on conditions. Like your friends, you only do certain, you're friends with them only because they have a certain thing that they do for you or do for it. When you really look at your true friends, judge your friends on the conditions that are, the situations that are not conditional. Mm -hmm. So if that friend is not doing that specific thing for you today or tomorrow, are you still friends with them? Do you still pick up the phone and talk to them? And I'm going to tell you what, after she told it to me, I want to say about three years ago, my list of friends have been getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, I know a lot of people and I'm very well known, Mm -hmm. but... My the people who really know who I am, know how I tick, know those crazy ass demons and that weird shit that I get excited about. It's a very small number now. Yeah, very small. Because when you look at the condition, you only look for people to be around. That's not. There's no conditions. It's based on. Yeah. Or the so I I think in the I don't think non conditional relationships can exist though. Besides besides I'd say like kids, but like let's say this is like. I, you don't think they can? Uh, I don't think they can exist romantically. So at least early on, but you got to get something out of it. Well, I, I think this. I like oh, like so. I'm working on a joke where I ask the audience, "Who's in love?" Okay, and then I pick and like, would you, would you? So you love her, right? And then under no circumstance would 
So if she just got covered with boils for the rest of her life, from face to toe, you'd be there. And like, what I'm trying to find is where does that shatter? Like, the thing is, we, we, it's kind of a big algorithm on why we end up with someone romantically. With friends, it's a little bit different. It's someone we like to share time with, shared experience with. But I, I also joke with it with, like, uh, a dad's love is fragile because it's, it's only one sheet of paper away from falling apart. All that sheet of paper has to say is, you are not the father. And then, like... Yeah, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> and, and that but that that's crazy like that's just a sheet of paper yet it completely distorts this entire relationship <laughs> and and so I, I think we're constantly fuck i do think like there are it's important to see the conditions and i like that you mentioned that because like i don't think people are aware of why they hang out with people you know and i think you should be my um my best friend juvian he's been on this podcast he has a, a youtube channel called the gonzo gentleman check him out um he he told me one time we were at a party. He said, man, you ain't never, you better never stop getting better. Because if you do, I'll find some Harvard Yale people to hang out with. And <laughs> the, everyone hears that story and they're like, wow, he sounds like such an ass. But in actuality, he's been my best friend. I want him to be my friend. Yeah, because the catalyst, we hold each other to an insanely high uh-huh. standard. But the thing is we're transparent about it. Mm-hmm. Even when I said I wanted to be a, a stand-up comedian, he, he, he's like, dude, I want nothing but the best for you or whatever. But he's like, you better be successful, mm-hmm. you know, and you better take what you need to be to be successful. And I, I think that – I think we need to have people put standards upon us because that's how we evolve to be something greater than ourselves. Like my dad talked about this in the Marine. He probably had the same, same experience. He said, it made me the man I was today. Mm-hmm. He said, I, I wouldn't be able to have done a quarter of the things I could have. They didn't show me I could have. They didn't hold me to that standard. And I think we're all playing roles in society. And I think when you're more conscious of the role you're playing and conscious of the standards you're holding yourself to, you can achieve so much more. You feel if one man did it, that means you can too. I mean, if a man hops on a tightrope and walks, stands on top of the Sears Tower and goes from the what's what's the other tower? The oh, Hancock. John Hancock. Yeah. yeah, and he walks on a wire. If that man did it, you can too. Yep. And if that man did it in two minutes, you can do it in a minute and a half. Yep. I mean, that's how you think on the power of that. My friend told me this about ten or twelve years ago, and it didn't mean anything when he told me. He said one of the hard things about being your friend is your standard of excellence is so high and you hold all your friends to that. He said it's very hard to be your friend. So mm-hmm. He said your demand is so high. Yeah. It's very hard to be around. He said, I'm your friend, but I, I, when I talk to you, you demand excellence because you demand it so much in yourself. Yep. The way you dress, the way you speak, the way you act, the way you interact with people, the way you conduct business, your standard is so high. It's like sometimes I think you're going to crack, but I understand the, the level of what you push people. Mm. I didn't understand what he was saying. I'm like, damn, what a, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm not that. But the older you get and the more you start you know, building your circle and your things, yeah, I am. Yeah. And you're building a cocoon of success around you. Yeah, I and, am. And, and that's okay. Like, the, the thing is, is like, I think, like, I've had someone tell me that too. They, they told me being around you is exhausting. Yeah, and and not 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 in a bad way. They're like, I mean, it completely in a great way. I've also to- been told you're overwhelming, right? And but like the thing is, is like these are just symptoms of being intense. And I, I really can't be any other way. Like I've told people this. 
I've wanted to be cool my entire life. I just know I'm not cool. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm energetic. I'm fun. But I'm not a cool dude. I'm not relaxed. I'm like, yeah. let's get this done. Yeah. Green tea. Just this slide in like the fond. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm not. And, and I think I think people need to know where it is their natural inclinations go. I don't think we have purpose. I don't think like I was destined to be a comedian. I think I was destined to communicate with people. And comedy is one way. Uh, hmm. Podcasting is another way. YouTube's another way. I write on uh, Quora. I write uh, books and uh, screenplays. These are all ways of communicating. And I think my brain is naturally for that. But like too many times people think their purpose is specific. And I think that's where it gets in the way. Because you don't really know your purpose until you start practicing your purpose. And then what happens is you kind of flip on to, to, to like, a, you think of a web. Mm-hmm. And you have the circle, then they go left, right, and, and then the web breaks off to something else. Your purpose, you thought, was that one line. And then you take that little piece and you die, like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. I like that piece. And you start working on that. I, I, but oh, we were talking about this in the car. What happens is people get stuck on thinking that that one line is that purpose because that purpose cost them $100,000 for college, they're in debt, their mm-hmm. family knows they went there, mom and dad bragged about it, that they did. so now you gotta be the, the nurse or you have to be the attorney or you gotta be that, you have to be this thing. You can't be the comedian, mm-hmm. you can't be the DJ. Like, like honestly, I, I ran this business for years and I DJed on the side and you know the funnest life that I had was the DJ. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but the DJ, I didn't pursue DJing because it didn't, it didn't pay the bills. It was, it was 600 bucks a week if the bar owner paid you on time yeah. compared to thousands and thousands of dollars a week from the company. So you're like, well, the DJ just a side business. I'm not going to do that. But really, when I look at it, the fun that I had, it was DJing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, construction was cool, but that wasn't fun. No. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah. No, I I feel that as well. Like, for, same with comedy, right? Is my thing is I also accepted that I don't want to just be a comedian. Like, I want to be comfortable as a comedian. So, I, it, it, last year, it took some levels of introspection where I was like, okay, in order to be live the life of a comedian I want, I need to be a chef of comedy. At the time, I was just doing, like, your average joke, like, oh, look, laugh at me, this, sort of storytelling. But then I really analyzed. I'm like, nothing I'm saying is special. Nothing I'm saying couldn't be said by someone else. Even though the stories might be different, even though they're coming out of maybe a unique background, which is me, it's not, it's not a chef's work. It's, a, it's like a, a housewife. She cooks really good food. Everyone loves her food. But no one's going to pay $500 to pay for that food. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I need to approach that. Then I looked at, like, how do I demand more money from these places? I looked at it from a booker's perspective, right? Because, like, bookers, they just want you to be funny enough. Then they don't really care. So I was like, I need to build a social media presence and get pulled because that people follow. people follow you. And there's like five dimensions of being a stand-up comedian. Or, and I think this works for almost any realm, but like for, especially for entertainment. There is your, your skill level for in comedy. It's being funny. There is your credentials. That's like being on The Tonight Show. That's like uh, doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival like I'm doing or having a show at the Laugh Factory. Then there's... Um, the next one is having a following or social media presence that's provable. Like a provable thing the other one is um being interesting being like will people talk about it afterwards and then the fifth one is being kind that there there there's no value you can put on the great things that can happen to you from people liking you and you need to be in a situation in a city that's why I'm moving to New York where things good things can happen but you need to build that on a basis of still being kind and if you work on all five of those different opportunities are available at the end of different ones 
and you need to know what opportunity demands what of you and what to highlight. And I'm sure that's the same in the business world. Mm-hmm. But here I'm going to hit you with something else too. I'm going to make this, this whole mindset of what you said even worse. How do you know? How do you know those five things are the ones? That's the great part mm-hmm. about being a business. You thought you have it spelled out. Like, I tell you now, I thought that posting on Facebook every two hours is going to get me more business. Oh, that shit's not working. Uh, it's working, but it's moving slow. Okay, now let's go to uh, YouTube. And we're going to do, I did this December. I sat at my house in December, and I uploaded 130 videos oh, in about a month wow. and a half worth of time. Who even has that type of energy? Let's talk about technology. I shut down the internet in my house. My kids were pissed. Dad, are you uploading it? Yes, I am. And my, my, my daughter, Dad, are you uploading? Yes, yeah. I am. It got so bad, I had to go to, um, to, Google, to uh, Starbucks. They had the Google Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. and I could upload over there. They kicked me out of the house because my house turned into a data command center. So now it's like, okay, I got the videos going, videos going, more phone calls, more phone calls. It's, it's coming in. It's slow. Then I said, I need to network more. I need to meet more people. So you meet more people, meet more people. Then these people get into a group. And the only thing the groups keeps doing is just keep meeting more people. It's still no fucking business, but you're just meeting more people. But what happens is all that starts meshing together. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you were talking about being a millennial. Like, this sucks. We're not doing it right. No, no, no. You guys are doing it right because it's all mushing and working together. You're just in it. Yep. You're in it. And you yep. don't know. Like, I, sometimes I just, I'd rather just probably just be a motivational speaker because I've been through all this shit before and I just want to tell people stop bitching and keep going exactly if, if you're doing it you just got to do it every day you got to wake up every day with that passion and just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and get out of I need to go work as a doctor I need to go work as this figure out you said there's no such thing as passion uh, yeah, I said. I said. It was, I don't think passion exists before you do the thing. But you need the passion in your field to become real at it and get there. Because you have to survive the BS that it's going to be fed to you. Um, we we went through a rough winter. I mean, probably the worst business winter I probably ever experienced. And when we got out of it, like the whole time I was in it, I knew we were getting out. But it sucked. You know what I mean like I've been through this before? But it's like this shit sucks. And so we got out of it, and I forgot what my wife and I, oh, we went out to eat. We finally got enough money <laughs> to go out to eat, and I took my wife out to eat, and we were sitting back talking. And I mean, even the week up into that was rough. And I looked at her, I said, you got to love this shit. And yeah. she looks at me, and she said, you are right. I said, I love what I do. And I can go through the ups, the downs, the hardships, the fun times, the bad times, because I love what I do. Uh, I 100% stand by what you're saying, but here's, let me clarify on my point. I don't think you could have loved your, what you're going through and what you do if you hadn't invested it before. What I think is the thing is people look for passion from the beginning. Like they're like, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really have passion for anything. Like for me, comedy, I didn't always love comedy. It took me sacrificing for comedy for it to mean something okay. for me. Like whenever I started doing comedy every day and I started saying no to dates, saying no to hanging out with friends, going up four to five times a night, just eat, sleeping, and shitting comedy, all of a sudden I love comedy. Why? Because I'm telling myself, hey, I'm putting a lot of effort in this. I must love it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I agree with you about the frame thing. Um, I was in Copenhagen and I was at a bar and I was talking to this Italian guy 
and he starts complaining about his life, and he's just like, oh, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And he, he was this guy who his parents were paying for his thing, and he's like 40. He's hostile. He's mad at them because they didn't pay for his college, but he's doing some weird internship. I was like, dude, you want to know the secret of being happy in life? Just be. To fall in love with pain. <laughs> I said, because everything you want in this process is going to be pain. You want to have career success, you're going to have tons of time where you don't know what you're doing, where, where, where you're spending late nights, where you're saying no to opportunity. You want to have the body of your dreams? Shoot, there is so much pain. You can't eat what you want. You can't hang out with who you want to hang out with you gotta spend all the time in the gym hell you want to have true love there's gonna be pain and rejection blah 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 and he thought i was a dick but like in that moment he had just given me access to like this is the best way to frame hard times is that you love it mm -hmm. and, that, and that's all it is is a framing issue pleasure and pain are stored in the same part of the brain right you, mm -hmm. and so you it literally if you can just mind judo yourself into like being like yeah i love this yeah i love to bomb yeah i love this and build an identity around it and know that it will pass it can be a lot easier wow. and i and i i think a lot of it too is is whenever you enrapture in humor some of sometimes pain is too much to confront alone or or, or there, there are hard times but like anytime like that i just start joking about it like, that's why comedy is so funny yeah it is the funniest comedy is just telling the truth Yep, and when it's so authentically true, it's funny as hell because it's really the truth. Exactly. Yeah, and like I said, we don't really. I think we're kind of afraid of the truth. That's why it becomes funny. Because the reason why people are paying, they're paying. Ah, just this is like an aha moment. The reason why people are paying to see a comedy because that son of a bitch is gonna hop on stage and say the shit that they're afraid to say. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and like damn did he just say that exactly. well and, and i think honestly comedy has taken a backlash in almost the past four or five years if you notice i mean you're newly into it so you're not seeing i'm 40 so i'm, I'm coming from the the martin lawrence all that air and i'm looking at a quiet time right now for comedy it's almost like where is stand-up it's quiet mm -hmm. And it's a different form. What happens is there's so much that is politically correct or I got to be true, I got to be whatever, that comedians are afraid to get on stage now and say something about the black person. I mean, as soon as you walk down, if you look at any deaf comedy jam, oh, we got white people? Oh, there's white people. You say that shit now? Yeah. Oh, he's, he's racist. Or, or there's Mexicans? Oh, he's right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of messed up right now. Oh, yeah. Well, the big thing right now is, is not even about race, right? It's about um, gender rights and sexuality. Yeah. I mean, and Dave Chappelle's getting hit by a lot of flack for it. But, but that's who he is. Well, this is the thing. is, is like, you don't, don't consume his comedy. <laughs> like, I, dude, I'm, I don't read Nazi literature. Why? Because I probably won't agree with it. And I'm not saying Chappelle's stuff is like that. I love Chappelle's thing. But, hey, if you know that Dave Chappelle is going to tell jokes like that, then don't listen. All right, he's an artist. He 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 is a, has no obligation to make his craft mean something to you. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's what comedy is for: is to express ideas that other people can't. And I do think we are actually moving to an age where a lot of comedians are becoming philosophers. Like, I have one joke that. Um, it talks about where I had this huge crush on this girl and I, I liked her more than anything, right? And I told my dad I was going to marry this girl and he told me I had an immature conception of love. <laughs> then I, I told him, like, no, dad, I've been praying about this. God is going to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Then he said, God watched the Holocaust happen. Hmm. What makes you think he'll make her love you? 
And I'm like, I don't know, sheltered upbringing in Disney movies. But whenever I say God watched the Holocaust happen, you, it literally hits all these girls because they're like, oh my God, I'm praying about this perfect guy coming into my life. And yeah, if, if you want to even believe in the concept of God, then you have to say that he just watched the Holocaust happen, but he has a vested interest in you getting laid. That, that's just, <laughs> You're one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he just, he's like, oh yeah, you know, and then like it goes in further where like someone's like, hey God, we need to take care of this serious Somalia thing. He's like, not now, Muhammad. <laughs> At any moment, William could mention that he has a huge Yu-Gi-Oh card collection. You know, like so. Home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the class got to stop. Exactly. He he can't handle anything. It, it's so ridiculous, and we have this huge self-importance. And the thing is, comedy lets you express that, and and sometimes you can't help but laugh. But this is the thing: is whenever that's why comedians need the license to not be funny sometimes. Because number one, we don't know when we're going too far. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, too far depends on the room. I've said completely horrible things to my friends. They've all laughed. Said those exact same things on stage. People, it's just so, wow. That honestly, I think I I know we're talking about technology. We'll yeah. flip back a little yeah. bit. But I kind of you brought up David Chappelle. I watched this thing the other day. David Chappelle has had a ten year break mm-hmm. where for ten years. He was kind of trying to, he, I, I think from listening to him, mm-hmm. he's been trying to get back and trying to get back. And really, he just wasn't probably just being and enjoying his life. So 10 years, he gets back on stage and he gets back on nigger this and white people this and da 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 this. And people are kind of looking at him now like, oh, Chappelle, the, we're, that's changed, bro. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to come with something different. But honestly, I really think he's talented enough. To be able to flow and figure well, it out. I, I actually think so. My opinion was his specials were phenomenal. The Bill Cosby joke, absolutely stupendous. And I think the entire thesis, I did a video on this, of the specials is, is that we create icons in society with, with O.J. Simpson, with Bill Cosby, with uh, Caitlyn Jenner. These people that we deify and make heroes. Even Dave Chappelle, he talks about bombing in one of his things um, at the beginning. And he's like, we try to make every one of these people larger than life, yet deny their weaknesses. Or, yeah, and whenever their weaknesses come, we, we, we treat them as egregious and say that they've done nothing good. When actual, in actuality, they're just people and we can piecemeal what they have done. We don't have to say, oh, you know, you've done this horrible thing, so everything you ever did was wrong. And mm-hmm. let that get in the way of the art. I, I think the thing is, is this, is like, yeah, comedy to an extent has changed, but like, I don't think he said anything terribly offensive. The thing, I think what he said about the trans, uh, the trans thing about like, you know, how they welcomed Caitlyn with open arms and everything like that and how that was great. But at the same time, like the, 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 the quickness of the acceptance of the trans community like and black people are like wait what the like how I just has to learn how to massage it out a little better I, I think it, it, I think he's gonna be able to figure it out I, I think in my this is my thing is I don't think he has to if, if people cannot buy, yeah people cannot buy the ticket that's fine those people were never gonna be his fans okay That's like, what you're saying I, the thing is is you cannot strive to be universally accepted that's just it just you won't cultivate the people who are die hard for you I just hit yeah. Wow, this is a this is a pretty deep topic. I mean, yeah. we're we're slipping all over the place. Yeah, but we're actually still in the same thing. Innovation, How? because of technology and social media and click button things, you can actually gain fans that are not even supposed to be your fans. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, back in the day, I, I came up when the remotes were. I mean, I, I sound old. I'm mean, just forty, but. I came up when we went from turning the knobs on the TV to push button remotes. Damn, yeah. that's old, isn't it? I mean, God. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't even know that. that, that <laughs> <Damn>. was, yeah. <laughs> you didn't the, even know the, you had yeah, knobs. No, no. Yeah. And so you could push and change the channel. 
So now you have over a thousand channels and you can flip through and accidentally see a Dave Chappelle show. Oh, that's very interesting. Back in the day, Dave Chappelle came on at a certain time at this certain channel. And if you were watching another channel, you were watching another channel. Now you can flip through hundreds of channels and you can accidentally pick up these fans. And then you rate him. Well, I watched him and he's, he's shitty. I don't really like him. He's, he's not really saying the greatest thing. But really, dude, you weren't supposed to be watching him in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, way more people have access and way more people have opinion. Yeah. So the comment section to me is the most disgusting thing ever. Because what it, what it has done mm-hmm. is it has empowered people who were never able to – and I'm going to say this. Some people shouldn't have public opinions. That's it. I'm, they're, they're not educated enough. That's why if you look in any comment section, it devolves into racism, sexism. The people who are most likely to be racist and sexist are low IQ people. It's just that it statistically happens and people who aren't doing well stati- like financially. That's just it. And they just generally don't have an education. And now they've give, been given a platform where they're given an audience to read their stupidness. And that's the issue, is that everybody now has an opinion. But who's there to judge? Oh, dude, the, the people. I The thing is, the scary thing is, is <laughs> I won't even watch a video sometimes. Someone will say something, and I'll just like scroll right down, and be like, oh, man, outrage. Just yeah. scrolling. But I don't know. What do you mean by that, actually? Like, like I, I, I respect what you said. Yeah. I believe that. Like, when I, I look at some of these celebrities, like, rap music right now disgusts me. Oh, yeah. And the fact that these, and, and I, I don't want to, I know it's some type of art. And some type of craft in their own way. I know it is. But what gives them the ability to get up and speak for all black people? Like, dude, what am I learning? I'm learning that I need to spend my check and get it right back. Or I got two hoes at the club. I mean, what are you really message you're putting out there? But you're the one who can speak for the whole community? You mean, what the hell? But then, who is the people who judge to say you can speak or you can't speak? That's the thing is um, it used to be by position, right? It used to be by state of authority, and that's it. Like, yeah, like those rappers that achieved like a certain level of authority because of their success and their financial thing. But now it's going to a following culture, so it's whoever can get somebody to Because listen. of what? Social I media. love this topic. Social technology. media. Technology. <laughs> and technology. Yet, and, yeah. But one of the things, that, and to talk back about rap, I think rap is incredibly destructive. I think... It has become destructive. It has become destructive. I don't think as a medium, naturally it is. It's just being employed in a way that is. And um, I watched a video by a YouTuber called That Guy T. And he talks about why rap is different than video game violence or anything like that. He said because rap, number one, there's like a monolithic view of what is black um, uh, with the media for better or for worse. And rap has one thing that no other art form has, which is this requirement to be real requirement to live your lyrics no one gets mad at me whenever they're saying hey you don't believe we should you think we should have more sweatshops like you know because they understand it's a joke no one's saying like the things i have to say on stage have to be real but for rappers they have to be and there's a premium on that and that goes all throughout and that makes people want to emulate it more and they're so proud like i'm watching this is a very destructive cycle that we're in i'm watching black people in general follow these rappers and they're so proud to be stupid yep like i've never in my life seen a group of people who are so proud to be stupid yep like uh, my little side hustle mm-hmm. running around uber this is sad there is not there i mean i i am being stereotypical i'm being judgmental i know i am but when i put the numbers down and anytime a young black guy gets in my car he always smells like weed mm. okay and because Chicago is so segregated, um, 
living-wise, not working-wise, but living-wise is so segregated, you know which areas you're going to be in. And when you get into those areas, pants are sagging. Everybody has dreads now. Mm-hmm. Nobody has a job. They're all standing on the corner. And it's like, did rap music do that? I, I think rap made it worse. I think rap validated it and created a co- codified culture of that. Like, uh, I don't know who the rapper is. Like, I make I make killing niggas music, right? Yeah. And it's like, dude, like this is this is. Uh, I think rap is destructive. I don't think it's the one thing to blame. But here's here's what I'm very scared of is that in the even in educated black communities, we find the need to always defend ghetto it. Get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, someone, yeah. someone can't just say like, "Oh, hey, that's ghetto and that's bad," without it being assault on all black people. And I'm like, no, it's not. That fucks me up too. Actually, I'm more likely to get killed by another black man than anybody mm-hmm. because black on black violence. But that's not brought up ever. <laughs> like, wow. in, 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 because number one, it sounds like, oh, you're, 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 you're taking on like an alt right view. At least the alt right, we're talking about standards. It's holding us to standards. The other one is saying like, it's treating. Treat us like children. So, so our black, our, and I don't want to get into a color. Uh, I mean, it's your eye. I'm talking yeah. about me. Like, it's my eye. Yeah. Like, it's my black yeah. yeah. But is our black people not embracing uh, technology as well? Or, or they're using it the wrong way? And, and not black people as a whole. These groups, you mean, uh, around this whole. Well, I, I, so I think, so I, like, one of the things is I want to move in the, way whenever we talk about things because i think race is a very shitty way of organizing people okay. it just i think it's very inefficient yeah. it doesn't tell you any of the details you need to know you can have two black guys in the city right one living in naperville the other one living in uh, on 89th street and completely different experience but in in terms of education wealth all that stuff 30 miles away race doesn't really tell you anything what i think is is that there is a culture that is obsessed with sen- pleasure a hedonistic culture that's in place. Okay. There's a lack of ed- education that, that that validates it. And then there's a lack of people accountability, not just in the community, but with each other and in social groups to make people want to do more. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, com- when you combine this with an in- incredibly aggressive, I mean, like, I can't conceive. We live in Chicago, right? I walk around Chicago late at night, blah, blah, blah. I don't feel unsafe at all. Yet somewhere along the way, a thousand something people got killed last year. Mm-hmm. Within like two, like four square miles. Mm-hmm. Those are bad dad numbers of people dying. That's literally making people by culture having to be like, put them in a, like a sociopath mindset. Because like you, you have kids talking about like, when I was 11 years old, I had to join the gang, but they're going to rob my mom and all these. These entire decisions that like a lot of people don't get. But I think it's cultural and it doesn't have to do with race. Because like, it, it, we need a, culture can change, race can't. And whenever people try to make this a race argument, I think it's dumb and it won't move anywhere. But see, one thing we have to, um, you got to look into is that as much as we don't want to call it race, it, it a lot those areas were created by race mm-hmm. those areas in the beginning these people were we the black race is one of the only races that was not allowed to have wealth was not allowed to group together so like the indians the mexicans the chinese they were able to have their own communities their own things and they didn't have the cops chasing them down or beating them down or stopping them they didn't they didn't lose their leader and get shot or killed i mean yeah we're having issues with some of these uh, I, I don't want to put this on a podcast but no. some of these other areas 
that it's kind of false and they're attacking for nothing. I mean, we kind of, everybody take that for what I just said, but there is somewhat now, now it's self-destruction. Now it's not a race issue. Yeah. But how these things became about it's, it actually did start off a race. It was a, it was a segregated way of pushing a group of people over into this one area and say, you're not getting jobs just because of this color. And that's it. We're going to come in here and we're going to take the low hanging fruit because we need so many people in prison. So we're going to pull you, 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 your dad, your dad, your dad, your dad, your dad, your dad, all you're going to go to prison. So you have to figure out how to feed your mom without your dad. Imagine that life. No, you can't. And you're right. History doesn't happen in a vacuum. And it it, really, it's, it's, it was very pointed and destructive, but I liked how you point out, but now it's self-destructive. Yeah, now it's self-destructive. And here, here's, we can't, this, this is the issue, is that I think we have remnants of a previous time in terms of, I think the system is made in, institutionally a, to impede black people's progress, whether malevolently or from lack of votership or just by opportunism. It just has happened. Mm -hmm. But here, there's also a mythos that I think continues to perpetuate that leads to low, a lot of bad things happening. And that is what I now think is a kind of a cultural myth that all white people have it out for us. And yeah. I, I, I think my dad's generation, I think maybe even your generation, there, 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 were, there were a lot more agitators. Now, like, it, to me, even when I had my head shaped and I was 100% black, I didn't really feel a different experience or anything like that. And that's because um, it's documented that human beings, we tend to distinguish based on clothing before race. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that, like, can you imagine if you think that everybody in society wants you to fail, how much that attacks your self-esteem? Mm-hmm. And if that turns out not to be true, do you understand how many opportunities you're not going to go for because you think that the system is completely against you on every level and that, antagonistic? That's why this is such a, technology is such a great topic. I, I We're going into philosophy and technology, technology at the same time, but the reason why these things can change is I grew up in an era where we didn't have the social media and things like that and I had to conduct business in it. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a quick thing. I'll try to do it as fast as I can. I had a brick paper patio company. We installed paper patios. The average job was six to $12,000 and we went from twelve to 25000 Okay, that didn't happen in the black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It only could happen in the, the predominantly white suburb communities, which is in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, Ohio in general is a very, um, it's a very conservative base, but the cities are becoming more liberal. But all your business is on the suburbs, so you had to do business on that level. I've seen more racism towards me on a level that most people wouldn't even, couldn't even understand. I mean, I've gone into my office and I had cops showing up with guns drawn with saying I'm, I'm robbing the place and, and I'm walking in with dress shirt and dress pants walking into the building. I've had the cops come to my house saying I'm throwing a party because my house is in the suburb, big house at the corner, uh, black people living on the corner. I was in a landscape business, so my house was amazing. But, so the neighbors couldn't understand it. Who is he? Mm. How is he doing it? What is he doing? And the cops show up because there's three people in the garage throwing a barbecue. You mean throwing in a big party? I had neighbors come over and visit, and they're telling me about people moving into the neighborhood who can't afford to live there, 
And I'm like, I'm listening to this guy talk. And like you and I were talking about the social construct. I make triple, quadruple the amount you do. Matter of fact, if we really put our income together, you can't afford to live here. Mm. So, because I don't work every day, dude. I hang out. I, I can sit on the porch and smoke a cigarette and watch you leave to go to work and wave and wave when you come back home. So how I even got into this design business, remember, this is a full circle. Remember how we were talking about the web? Yeah. You thought you were one way. So I thought landscape, everything, that's the, that's the life. That's where I'm going to go. So I'm pursuing this whole outdoor living, paper patio. And then what happens is I said, I'm black. So I need something better to show my clients that they'll hire me for. So I said, let me dabble into this 3D stuff. Let me start drawing my pad. Our company, we're going to draw them in 3D because we're going to get, we need something to make us look better than a white person. We start drawing in 3D. Next thing you know, we get a phone call from somebody in Chicago. We get a phone call from somebody in Texas. Hey, can you draw this? We get a phone call in California. Can you draw this? We get a phone call in DC. Can you draw this for me? I looked at my wife. I said, babe, we're on to something. I said, the hell with this construction. We're on to something. But it was the racism that got me to becoming a designer. Then remember we were talking about having the passion. This is this whole conversation yeah. is about to go backwards. Yeah. We were talking about having a passion. I had no clue that I was a designer. I, I took architectural engineering, but I didn't take design courses. I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I started off rendering for companies. Mm -hmm. So if you were a landscape company and you couldn't show your client what you were doing, I would redraw the, the whole process in 3D. And then they would, these landscaping companies would just give me total garbage. And I'd look at this like, I don't want to draw any of this shit. Yeah. And a couple, I'm like, hell no. I, like, I screwed up a couple just so they would fire me so I wouldn't have to do it anymore. So what I did was, I would go every night, every day. That's when you get to the passion kicks in. You don't go out to drink. Mm -hmm. You don't go out to party. You don't go hang out with friends. I'm studying outdoor living. I'm studying architecture. I'm studying this. I'm studying that. I'm studying this. And then you start to become, you mean, this, this designer, this amazing. And, and really, it's, it's, even though we're nationwide, I still feel like we're just beginning. Mm. And, and what I'm really getting into now is we're getting into the philosophy of the human mm. and we're taking the technology out of your life when you actually go outside even though you have technology everywhere we're the little piece that you say no technology out here somebody said what you do people don't need it and really what I do people need that more than anything in their entire lives more than their house more than their BMW, more than anything else, you need to be able to sit outside and listen to the water feature fall to your right and close your eyes and watch the fire pit kind of shudder and hear the sounds. And then because it's designed nicely, you got the birds chirping and everything in. You need that more than anything to balance yourself to enjoy the technology that you're working your ass off for. Mm, that's deep. That you can't enjoy it until you get separation from it. Yeah, and you need a vacation from the things that make your life so easy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, wow. That, yeah. that was beautiful. I think that's a great, great place to end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, what, tell them all the stuff you need to plug and everything like that at the end. Um, I, I'm not really a plug guy, but I want to share this too as much as I can. Because yeah. one thing I learned, you share. Yeah. You, you share, we share, we all grow. But my name is Dwayne Drawn. I am the owner of VIZ VizX Design Studios. Um, we're an outdoor living design firm that just happens to use 3D to explain what we're doing. We design all over the United States of America, and eventually we're, we're picking up to go into other countries and things like that. 
and uh, just enjoy what we do. We're not landscape design firm. We're um, we're outdoor living enjoyment company, basically. That's awesome. And I got a lot of listeners in India and also in um and uh, Middle East and uh, <laughs> Europe. So guys, if you guys want some time away from your technology, not this podcast, but everything else, <laughs> you know you know where to go. And guys, also check out my YouTube channel, The Lazy Philosopher. I got the links on the page. Uh, follow me on Twitter because I need it. Um, I think my joke this week was um. If you don't think you're, if you think you're, um, I'll do the other one. Uh, God loves you, uh, like a dad who doesn't pay child support. So if you want to hear more jokes like that, check out my Twitter and then also uh, check out my Instagram. Anyway, guys, Godspeed and good night. As always, like, follow, share. Boom. <laughs>